It was a little over seven years ago, and I was recovering from having part of my left foot amputated. And uh, Reggie mentioned yesterday that he uh, ran into somebody that said, "Hey, I think I think I saw your pastor the other day." And uh, Reggie said, "He said, does he wear a big boot on his on his foot?" And Reggie said, uh, "Yeah, that's my pastor." And I thought, you know. Uh, that's one of the hardest parts of this whole thing. I used to be, isn't he the guy that's so tall and good looking? And uh, now it's the guy that wears the boot. And so, but anyway, um, but it was it was seven years ago that I had to have part of my left foot amputated, and I was recovering. It was in the fall of 2010 when uh, Pastor Mrs. Crichton came to pay me a visit, and uh, they preached for us. I think it was a Wednesday night. And uh, I remember him, uh, he took me and Amy and the kids to Bertucci's, and, uh, and I remember Bertucci's, and I remember that bread. A moment of silence, please. But anyway, um, we sat at Bertucci's, and he gave me a gift bag, and out of that gift bag, I pulled this book. And uh, this book is the autobiography of George Mueller, and it is called The Power of Faith and Prayer. And this book is uh, about 150 years old. It's a it's a first printing, but on the binding there is, I guess, what is the subtitle of the book, and that is Mueller's life of trust. Mueller's life of trust. And here's the incredible thing: as we get into the message here, the thought that developed as I was seeking the Lord about the message this morning, as I was preparing had nothing to do with this book title, and uh, I just realized that what I was reading was a description of a life of trust. And uh, as I progressed, then I remembered this book and its name. But here's the thing, and and George Mueller is a good contrast that I will show you the difference in just a minute between what we think, George. If you know who George Mueller is who we think he is versus who he really was. I'll get back to that in just a minute. There's no favor that I could do for you next to telling you how to be saved, how to know for sure that your sins are forgiven and that you're going to heaven and it's a done deal. But next to telling you that, there's no favor that I could do for you that would be greater than to lead you to live a life of trust. One of the greatest differences between Bible Christianity and the carnal Christianity that is so common today is that Bible Christianity is a lifestyle of trusting God. But common Christianity only seeks to trust God in a crisis. That contrast is all through the Bible. If you know your Bible, the Bible says... That Lot was a just man, which means he was saved. But this man named Lot only tried to trust God when he was in a pinch. When he got in trouble, he turned to the Lord. On the other hand, his uncle, Abraham, lived a lifestyle of trusting God. He trusted God with everything in his life every day. Another contrast. Joseph's brothers turned to God when they were in a tight spot. But Joseph himself lived a lifestyle of trusting God, a life of trust. 
Another contrast. The ten spies versus Joshua and Caleb. The ten spies were used to when they got in trouble. Oh God, what are we going to do? In fact, they were of those that when they got into a problem, they complained to God. They murmured, as the Bible says repeatedly. These are the ten spies who brought back the negative report of the promised land. They had a limited capacity to trust the Lord. Joshua and Caleb saw the same exact things that they saw, and yet they came back saying, let's go. Let's go forward. Let's trust the Lord. Let's trust the Lord. Why? Because Joshua and Caleb had chosen to live a lifestyle of trusting God. So now look at your own heart. As you hear the word of God, as you hear the examples and the explanations I'm going to give you from the Bible, look at your own heart. Do you just run to God in a crisis and say, all right, I'm going to trust the Lord? Or is your life defined by trusting God? What's the difference, all right? We all have friends, but we all have had in our lifetime, we've had those friends that they only show up when we can do something for them. You know, you get a text, you get a phone call. Oh, why is he calling? Because <laughs> he wants something. And then you've got friends that they're there for you. I mean, they're there. And they've been there for years, maybe decades. And it's not about just what you can, I mean, sometimes you help them, sometimes they help you, but they're there for you. Uh, we all know that there's different kinds of children, whether you're a child or the parent. We understand, we all are old enough to understand the difference between the, the child that, you know, oh, when they need something, when Christmas is getting close, when their birthday's getting close, when they need, uh, when they want to ask permission for something, oh, they get so nice and sweet and, and uh, wow, I emptied my trash and made my bed without being asked. Look at that. Uh, because they want something. So much so that mom and dad says, okay, well, they're, they're going to ask for something. What is it? Versus the kind of child that they're just, I mean, they're not perfect. It's, this is not about perfection. This is about where your heart is, where your mind is. And so there's that child that, that I mean, they just make their bed every day. That's just who they are. They just keep their room clean. That's just who they are. They, just, they, they obey and they're respectful. That's just who they are. It's not because they need some money. It's not because they're trying to butter their mom and dad. There's the difference. There's the contrast. All right, let me give you based on George Mueller. If you know who he is, George Mueller is known as one of the greatest prayer warriors of all time. George Mueller ran some orphanages and built these orphanages in Europe in the 1800s. He built them on prayer. You know, most of us want to do things. We want to put the budget together. We want to say, uh, do we have the money to do this? And if we do, let's go forward. George Mueller just did what God led him to do and waited for God, waited upon the Lord to provide. And here's the thing. He always knew that God was going to provide. So here's what we think George Mueller was. We think George Mueller was a man that could go to God any time and say, God, I need some cash. And God provided. Yeah, that's part of who is like. By the way, that's what we want. We want to do our thing, live our lives, ignore God, and then go to God in a pinch 
and have God say, uh, okay, how much you need? You know, let me, let me count it out for you. That's not who George Mueller was. And that's not who the child of God is who lives a life of trust. Who George Mueller was, was somebody who sought the Lord every day of his life. When he had a need and when the needs were not so much. We all have needs every day, but when the needs were not so obvious. See, we think we have needs where, we have days where we can fill all the needs. I got that covered. But then we have days once in a while where we got to call God in. No, that's, that, those are the guys, the 10 spies. Those are the, the lots that I told you about a few minutes ago. No, the person who lives a life of trust is the person who they're in there with God every day. They're they're living in such a way that they know when a problem arises, God's going to meet that need. God's going to show me because he always does. And when there is no overwhelming need, they're still in there with God. They're in there with God all of the time. Can I say this, and and I say this kindly because before God, I'm not thinking of anybody at all. I'm just telling you this happens. There are people that you just know no matter what's going on in church. They're a part of it. They're in. I'm there. In fact, it worries you when you don't see their face because you say, man, that person never doesn't show up. And if they ever do not show up, they call to, to, to you know, let me know. Just so we know. But then there's folks literally when, when the phone call comes, it's, there's nothing but the first response is, oh boy, what do they need? And by the way, I'm happy to meet the need. But there's just those folks that they don't contact you unless they need something. Can I say this just to give you insight into maybe what God's thinking? You know this is true in your own life. You have a life. You have things that you're doing. You have things that are going on, things that you've got to get done. And when somebody who only contacts you once a year because they are in a crisis calls you, and you're already in the middle of taking care of your family, you're already in the middle of taking care of business at work, you're already in the middle of doing what you need to do for your church, and someone out of the blue calls you once a year and says, yeah, I'm stuck somewhere, I got no money, can you help me out? You can't always put them at the top of the priority list, can you? Because that guy, he's all about himself and he doesn't understand, man, I got a life, I got things going on, I got a family, I got things to take care of. I can't always drop what I'm doing and drive two hours away and take care of your crisis. Do you think that there's some form of what I just described that may not be how God looks at us when we only contact him when we're in trouble? Who do you think God more readily pays attention to the person who is living a life of trust or the person that only dials God's phone number, J-E-R-333, when you get in a pinch. I'm not making fun of that. I've used that. You've used that. But, man, I just hate the way we take these trivial little things, we put them on a sweatshirt, and we ignore God when we don't need them. All through the Bible, we find great statements made by those who lived a lifestyle of trusting the Lord. Isaiah said to the Lord, Isaiah 26.3, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. 
Jeremiah testified, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Not a once in a while when I have an emergency, I'll get in touch with God, but a life of trust. Paul said in 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. What is he saying? He's saying I've decided to live a life of trust. Not an occasional, I'm going to call God because I'm in a pinch. A life of trust. Listen, when you're living the life of trust, doesn't mean that you don't ever have a fear. You don't ever have concerns. In fact, you have concerns and fears very often, just like everyone. But there comes a point in your growth and your relationship with God where you know God's got this under control. I've seen him do it before, and he's not going to let me down. I didn't plan to say this, and this isn't the cause of the message, but it, it fits perfectly. There were uh, two big old crises that uh, arose late in the week this week. And here's a crazy thing. The same two crises relatively or, or similar crises arose eight or ten months ago. And I, I told my wife after the crisis, one of them was, uh, uh, was cared for. The other one still hasn't been. And I told my wife, I said, you know, the last time these kind of crises came up, I was desperate, going crazy, didn't know what I was going to do. I said, now these same things have happened or very similar things. And I just have this absolute confidence that God's got it under control. It doesn't mean I don't pray. It doesn't mean I don't worry even. But there's something about the fretting. There's something about the honestly even questioning God. God, what are you doing? You say, Pastor, you say that. Why? I'd be lying if I said I never do. God, what are you doing? But there's something about that that this round of challenges, same kind of challenge. In fact, these ones might have been a little worse. That I just had a peace that in the right time and the right way, God's going to come true, come through. How do I know? Because he did it last time. And it's part of God teaching me what he wants to teach you, and that is a life of trust. A life of trust. Maybe the most profound statement of a life of trust in the entire Bible and this is the statement that inspired the sermon this morning. Inspired is not the right word there, but for lack of a better one, inspired the sermon this morning. Is this simple statement by David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Can you say that with me together? Ready? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There are some very meaningful words in the decay of the English language that we have unfortunately lost over the years. And one of those words is the word want in its old meaning. We still use the word want, but we use it to mean something different than what it used to mean. See, when we say the word want, we mean, I desire to have that, give it to me. But that's not what it used to mean. The word want used to mean, I have a genuine need. There is a desperate 
void or lack in my life. Okay, for example, the way we use the word want is we drive a Honda Accord and we want a Silverado pickup truck. And I might testify, we, we do want a Silverado pickup truck. But that's, that's the way we use the word want. We have, our, our need is met. But there's something we want that would fill that need in a more satisfying way. It really is more of a, and I mean this in the fullest sense of the word, not just the, the, the morality sense of the word, it really is lust, the way we use it. I, I crave that. I really want that. Okay? Now, here's the way it used to be used. All right? I work five miles away from where I live. And I have no car. And so I walk to work five miles every day for want of a car. That's the way it used to be used. One is a genuine need. Everyone would agree that person genuinely needs a car. But when I'm already driving a perfectly functioning Honda Accord and I say, I want a Chevy pickup, that is not a genuine need. That is a, that's a desire. It's a lust of my soul. So that's how the word has decayed. It used to mean a genuine need that needs to be filled. But now we've, it has been cheapened to mean, give me one of those, because I want one. All right. So the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is not the want that we use, which is, with the Lord is my shepherd, there will never be anything that I want that I don't get. <laughs> that's not how it is. You know that's not how it is. But what David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, there is never a lack in my life, a genuine lack that is not filled. Hey, let's go back to the guy that's walking five miles to work because he has no car. Even that guy, when he lives a life of trust in the Lord, the Lord may let him walk for a little while. Until he comes to the place in his heart where he says, Lord, I don't know why you're doing this. All my coworkers have cars. All my family members and neighbors have cars. I don't know why I have to walk five miles one way to work. But I trust you. I know when you want me to have a car, you'll make it, you'll make it possible for me to have a car. Guess what? When the time is right, that guy's going to have a car. Because when he comes to that point, he's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. When David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's declaring, because I'm in the Lord's flock, because he's my shepherd, I have no need. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. Because the Lord is my shepherd, he fills every need for me. And he says, shall not, because the Lord is my shepherd, I'm confident that I will never 
have a need that is a true need that doesn't get met. I don't know if there's a greater description of a life of trust in the entire Bible. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Not when I have a crisis, I run to him. Not when a need arises, I go to God and he gives me what I need. Not God is my ATM. Not God is my magic wand or God is my spare tire. It is a statement of complete trust. And every person in this room can live there if you want to. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. It's a statement of complete contentment. David wasn't freaking out. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. I I will not have a need. And if I have a need that I think is a need that is not filled, it's because my shepherd wants me to live there for a little while. It's a statement of complete peace. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean that David never feared. When David was on the run from Saul, the Lord was still his shepherd, and he was afraid for for 10 years of his life. He had done nothing wrong, but he was treated like an outlaw by the king that he loved and respected. David had some fears. He had some concerns. He had some confusion. But underneath, he still had that faith in in the life of trust that said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There came a point at a place called Ziklag in this struggle between King Saul and some people who were outcasts had come to follow David and made him their leader. He was not king yet, but but they took refuge with David. I'm talking about several hundred people followed David. And he was responsible for their safety and their protection. And he came across a city called Ziklag, and he put them at Ziklag. And if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the Philistine king had even given that, if I'm not mistaken, I may be confusing my stories, but I believe had given David that city. Whatever the case, it was a place where David and his men and their families and their friends took refuge. And while David was off fighting... And the men's wives and children were back in Ziklag. A group of people called the Amalekites came along and plundered that city and kidnapped their families and stole their possessions and carried them away. So when David and his men came back, they had lost everything while they were off fighting battles. Doesn't mean that David never struggled. Doesn't mean that David never scratched his head and said, what's going on? In fact, that's when it says that David encouraged himself in the Lord. Well, the only time you've got to encourage yourself is when you're discouraged. So it doesn't mean that David never got discouraged because he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It meant that no matter what happened in his heart, David knew, God's got me covered. And you don't live in that place if you only visit God when you're in a crisis. You've got to live the life of trust. We're coming near to the end here. In David's fear and struggle and grief, he trusted God to bring him through. If you go back to the 23rd Psalm, and I'll I'll just summarize it for you. In the 23rd Psalm, David goes on to detail the areas where in his life of trust, he had not lacked. He had no lack. He said, I have no lack in my provision. 
I have no lack of strength. This is all in Psalm 23. I have no lack of direction. Why? My shepherd is there to guide me. He leads me. I have no lack of peace. I have no lack of protection in danger. I have no lack of health. I have no lack of blessings. I have no lack of victory. I have no lack of purpose. It doesn't mean that you always have as much of those things as you would like to. It means you always have as much of those things as your shepherd knows you truly need. If you want to understand a life of trust, study the relationship between the shepherd and his sheep. It's something that is very foreign to our American idea of agriculture. You know, bringing the cows in or the animals go in the barn and the farmer goes out into the... A shepherd does something very different. He goes out into mountainsides and pastures and leads them and, and he takes care of those sheep. He makes sure they're fed. He makes sure they're watered. He makes sure that they're protected. He guides them with the staff that he carries. Sometimes to keep them from straying, if he has a sheep that keeps straying off into danger, keeps straying off into getting lost, occasionally the shepherd even has to break the lamb's leg. You say, man, that's, that sounds cruel. It sounds cruel, but it's not because he knows that there's a greater danger than a broken leg. If you ever come to, to understand, the more you understand about the relationship of the shepherd and his sheep, the more you understand the life of trust. Let me ask you, is God your plan B or is he your life's pursuit? Is your life defined by trust or is trusting God your last resort? Do you seek the Lord every step of your journey or do you just call him? When you break down, God, you're triple A. Are you living a life of trust? Or do you just occasionally dabble in trusting him? Only God can teach you the life of trust. And God will teach you the life of trust. And you'll be learning for the rest of your life. But your part is you've got to seek him every day. That's why the things that we put out here that, about daily Bible reading, they have the title, My Daily Pursuit of God, because that's what it is. You've got to pursue the Lord for yourself every day. I can't do it. No one else can do it for you. You've got to do it for yourself. Let's bow our head and close our eyes before we say goodbye.